All right. Uh, the lectionary readings for this week uh, cover a lot of diverse yet related material. Uh, there are texts related to this setting up of the uh, tabernacle and the dedication of the temple where the glory of God entered into them. There are texts related to judgment and our behavior towards others, not stumbling a brother with, uh, with our behavior. Uh, but as we near the holy days of Judaism and Christianity um, and continue to focus on what do we do in instructing our children, I want to talk about the texts specifically from the Western Church uh, that are this week. Uh, now, remember, we put those up uh, for you on Facebook and in other contexts. And I'm hoping you'll read the Christian ones beginning on Sunday through about Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for the Sabbath. You'll read the, the Jewish ones. And you'll begin to see how many of the texts that were drawn for Christianity were based on the readings traditionally in, uh, in Judaism in terms of the themes. Uh, so I want to talk about those uh, because there are rituals that are directly... Uh, given to us by Scripture. And then there are those that have developed beyond that in Judaism and Christianity, which are based on Scripture. And these rituals are found in what Judaism calls the life cycle and the holy days, and which Christianity calls the holy days and the sacraments or ordinances, depending on uh, which, uh, whether you're uh, Orthodox or, or Protestant in that sense. Um, these rituals... Uh, whether they're rites of passage as the life cycle ones or rites of intensification, really focus on the instruction of the children. If you, if you analyze the scripture, the purpose for the Passover Seder is not to have a great meal. It is really to instruct the children. And so I want to talk about this using the title Remember and Teach because that's what the rituals do. They remind us of biblical truth. And they teach the next generation experientially uh, what they're to do. So I'm going to ask you to begin with me uh, at a passage that you're familiar with and was alluded to in our liturgy this morning. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 4 is the Shema passage. The, the uh, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This passage... Uh, goes on to say in verse 7 uh, that, well, verse 6, these words that I command you shall be on your heart. Now remember that the purpose of the Torah being given was for Israel to put these commandments on their heart and then to do them. But there's a problem with the heart and that's what's talked about in the Newer Testament where Jesus came to settle the heart matter and that in the New Covenant to Israel and to Judah, and by extension to us, God will write His commandments on the heart. So the idea that the commandments uh, are the problem, and Jesus got rid of the problem, is a false teaching. The commandments are good, the heart is the problem, and Jesus came to deal with the heart, so that the commandments could be written uh, on our hearts. But then He says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and talk of them when you are sitting in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. God's word is supposed to permeate our lives and our hearts. Uh, it should be in our homes. 
should be in our traveling, it should be in our conversations, it should be as we go to bed, it should be as we rise up. And this is important for children as they grow up in a home seeing this happen. Uh, so the doing of religious ritual in the home and in the congregation is critical to maintaining our faith and passing it along to the next generation. I have noticed over 40 years of ministry that people who do not engage the faith in the home do not grow in the congregation. And people who do not congregate, even though they do things in the home, they will eventually begin to fall away and with no community to catch them and pull them, uh, there is a problem. So you want to watch for people who back away from either thing, back away from congregating or back away from doing uh, the faith in the home because those things are critical and we need, we need both of those uh, to go on. Uh, so uh, the rituals... Uh, Prevent Israel from forgetting. I want you to look further down in that passage. Uh, Verse 10, he says, It shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself. That you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. This idea of forgetting the Lord is a major issue. When life is going fairly well, we have a tendency to think, I'm doing okay. I don't need God. I've done this by my own hand. Then when life turns terrible, we cry out to God, where are you God? Right? Uh, we ignore God in the good times and often then are desperate in the earth. God says, I don't want you doing that. I want you to reinforce and teach and talk about my word. I want you to focus on my word. I want your daily life to be associated with my word so that when life, when you are being blessed, you don't forget who is blessing you. And when you are in need, you know that I am there uh, as close as a prayer away. So this is really important, and I think it sets the foundation for all that we do. So we're now going to look at the passage that's this week's reading, which I find a fascinating passage. It's one of those uh, that I I like to uh, meditate on and think about. Joshua chapter 4. Now, if you know uh, the scriptures pretty well, you know that Joshua is the one who replaces Uh, Moses. So the one who comes after Moses is Yeshua. That's the name. Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, Joshua. They're all the same names. And, And God is really, I think, giving us some knowledge. There will be a prophet I will raise up after Moses and you should listen to him. And of course, Joshua is that prophet. But Joshua is not the ultimate of that. Uh, Jesus is. So in, in uh, Joshua chapter 4, as they are about to leave finally the wilderness, they have spent 40 years in the wilderness because the adult generation would not follow God. 
He tested them, they failed. He tested them, they failed. He tested them, they failed. And all the time, they're griping, you brought us out here to kill our children. We're worried about the children. Yeah, if you were worried about the children, you might be paying a little more attention to them, right? That wasn't what they were doing. So what happened is God says, now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let your carcasses drop in the wilderness and your children that you're worried about, I'm going to bring into the land. So at the end of that time, except for Joshua and Caleb, that generation has passed. God is now bringing this next generation in and they're going to need reminders and ritual and content of what God has done among them as well. So in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Joshua called twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And he said, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. This will be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, What do these stones mean to you? Then you will say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones have become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. So the sons of Israel did this. Now what happened is God cut off the Jordan. And then the carriers of the ark walked out to the middle of the Jordan, standing on river stones and stood in the center of the Jordan so that the people could then go across. Then these 12 men, as the priests stepped, picked up the stones that they were standing on. These are large stones. And they carried them from that place. Now, what Joshua ends up doing is taking another set of stones that he will pile up in that place so that when the river drops down, you'll see the stones. And when it comes up, they're covered as a reminder there. But obviously, that wouldn't be a regular reminder for everyone. So what ends up happening is they take these stones to Gilgal. Now, if you have a map in your Bible, you should have one. uh, If you have the book of maps there at the end of uh, of, of your Bible, there should be one called the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you look at that map of the 12 tribes of Israel and you find Jericho, you can see just to the left of it, or really above it, is Gilgal. That's where they will take these 12 stones and they will pile up those stones as a memorial to what God has done. Very important, very important that you establish a memorial to what God has done in your life. It is a testimony, not of you, but of the Lord. God places His testimony in His people. And we are to remember what the Lord has done. And those memorials, whether it's our home altar, or the rituals that we do, or another uh, uh, form that we use, are important things. And you should... Make your children come with you to a memorial, I mean, on a pilgrimage to the places where God has uh, dealt with you. Um, uh, it is an important thing uh, to, to do because we need children to grow up experiencing that God is active among his people. And that's not 
toll that's shown in, in that sense. So, the children of Israel cross the Jordan on dry land. They're commanded to collect these rocks. Joshua places some, and the twelve then are placed in Gilgal, so that generations down will see those rocks. And notice what it says. When your child says, what do these rocks mean to you? They don't mean anything to the kids. And they won't mean anything to the kids if they don't mean something to you. If you create a faith that is kid-based, you will lose your children to that faith. This faith is adult-based, and it has to mean something to you, so that when the child says, what does that mean to you? You give testimony of why you're following God. Now, if you're not following God, the kids spot a hypocrite real quick. But they will not be frustrated by inconsistency. They'll ask about it. But if you are struggling towards obedience, they will struggle towards obedience as well. Very important notion. They are there to remind and to teach. For those who know, it's a reminder. And for those who don't know, it becomes an opportunity for teaching. Now this is carried on in the psalm for this week, which is Psalm 34. It was very hard for me not to just do Psalm 34 as the whole sermon. What a great psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What does God say? My word and these commandments and my testimonies and praise shall be in your mouth. You shall talk of them when you rise up, when you lay down. They shall write them on the doorpost. I mean, this is, this is connected to that, that commandment. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. It's not just in the home. It's also in congregation. Uh, The testimony of what the Lord has done. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Now I want you to take a look at um, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That verse always bothered me. It should say, hear and see that the Lord is good. Shouldn't it? Because we talk, so hear and see that the Lord is good. It's really saying, taste, touch, smell, see, and hear that the Lord is good. In other words, an experience of God's goodness becomes a testimony in your life. The scripture says, Lord, we have heard of your acts. But what we desire for you to walk among us and to do things in our midst. And God does do things in our midst. One of the reasons we give testimony in our services. And so the idea here is that the psalm is calling uh, for the children... To experience that the Lord is good. That they will taste and touch and smell and hear and see. And it becomes locked in their memory. And the more it's experienced and reinforced, the more likely it is to be in their, um, in their memory. Now, I want you to look at um, the following verses. Uh, it says in verse 11, Come children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It is the adult generation's responsibility 
to teach the children to fear the Lord. And again, if you don't fear the Lord, they're not going to fear the Lord. If you don't have a reverence for God, a fear that God is both sovereign and judge, children are not going to have that. And sometimes we turn God into a sweet old man in the sky who just loves everybody. And that is a partial picture of God, not a full picture of God. And I'm convinced that fear comes before faith. So, at first, we must be concerned about what the Lord will do to us. And then we grow to trust Him so that we will obey Him. But it doesn't work the other way. You start out with faith, but you have no fear. You get some alternatives and you begin to take them. So fear is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So uh, this is not completely talking about children. This taste and see that the Lord is good. We taste and see that the Lord is good when we observe Shabbat. We taste and see that the Lord is good when we observe the Passover. We taste and see that the Lord is good when we observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, We taste and see that the Lord is good when we experience baptism, when we light the Advent candles, when we sound the shofar. We bring it into our experience so that we taste, touch, see, smell, and hear. All of those experiences are part of what the ritual does. If ritual is done right, it's done poorly. We just get bored, right? So, this is why we must be systematic And as consistent as we can in our homes and congregation regarding the remembering for those of us who are older and the teaching uh, of the children. Now, those of you who are systematic about your reading of Scripture and that, you know this. Um, It is amazing to me how many times I've been through the Scriptures. And I've been through them in reading. I've been through them in study. I've been through them in trying to prove they're wrong. I've been through them in translation. I've been through them a few times. And every time I do it, I'll get to a story that I think, man, this one I've just got. And then I'll read it, and there's something there that I didn't notice. Or an emphasis that I didn't see. It's like the layers of the scripture are in, well, they're unfathomable. And you cannot exhaust them in terms that you can exhaust yourself sometimes, but not them in finding out what they say. So, uh, the ritual we use should be accessible to children, but not focused on them. They must observe that we are serious about the ritual so that they question why this is so important to us, uh, not why do they have to do it. And we must be able to explain it from our own personal experience and our own conviction in that context. Now remember I said that this is about being mindful, reminding ourselves and teaching children. That leads us to the gospel reading for this week, which you're going to go, okay, you're stretching this one a little bit, Stokes. It's in Luke chapter 15, but I'm not stretching it. Luke chapter 15 is an interesting chapter. It's, it holds a passage that we all know very well 
even if we don't know it all that well. And that is the story of the prodigal son. Now, when I heard the story of the prodigal son, it was about this son who went into rebellion and finally comes back to God. That's the focus of the story. And in some sense, it is the focus of the story. But it is not the object of the story. So at the beginning of the chapter, we have this. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. He's going to tell three of them. The first one is about the hundred sheep. You know that story, the ninety-nine that are there and the one that's lost. And the rejoicing over the one that's lost. Now, does that mean he doesn't care about the ninety-nine? No. He's not ignoring the 99. The 99 are safe in the fold. But the one was outside. Then the lost coin. And the woman can't find the coin and she finds it and she says to her friends, Rejoice with me, I found that. So clearly, when we get to the parable of the prodigal son, there is rejoicing that this kid who was as good as dead to his father has returned. And certainly that is an understanding of the text. But it is not the focus of the text. The focus of the text is that the Pharisees and the scribes are the 99 sheep. The Pharisees and the scribes are the coins that aren't missing. The Pharisees and the scribes are the older brother. Who have forgotten all the benefits that are theirs. You never killed me a fatted calf. You're always with me and whatever I have is yours. We forget really easy and move from thankfulness and gratitude for what God's done to entitlement. And when you have entitlement, if anyone else is brought into a benefit or a blessing of God who you deem as less than you, you're going to judge them. And that's, that's really the point. So the rituals are to remind us that we also are in need of a Savior. We have a Savior whom we are still in need of. The danger is to live in the houses and go, hey, I did this myself. You didn't do this yourself. If you forget, you will not teach and the children will not learn. This is why we congregate. And as I said, those who forsake the assembling of ourselves together quickly forget, quickly fall away, and lose the opportunity to be encouraged and stimulated unto love and good works. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but provoke one another and stimulate one another unto love and good works and all the more as you see the day approaching, the, the day of the Lord as it, as it is coming. So we need opportunity to encourage one another. We need opportunity to remind ourselves that, that we have this one shot with our kids and it's a quick time. Linda and I were uh, looking at a picture of one of our 
granddaughters yesterday and realizing their age. You know, when, when you have grandkids that are 21, coming up on 21, 19, and 17, you go, where did that time go, right? Unbelievable, you know? I'm only 28. How can they be, right? How can they be that? And, and then you realize how old your kids are, you know? And then you say, time to not think anymore <laughs> about that. So, it's important that we do this. Sec- the, the last uh, passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Messiah, any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, again, I used to be taught that that verse meant when you accept Jesus, your old life goes away and the new life comes. I have the same body that I had before I made a profession of faith. I am waiting the resurrection for that body to change. I have a different mind than I had because I have been working on transforming my mind. But I have to work at transforming my mind because otherwise I'll put my mind on the things of the past. And Paul says, I don't do that. I also know I haven't arrived But this thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward towards the goal of the calling that's in Christ Jesus. This is a process, and it's done by diligent walking with God through both the rituals and obedience to His commandments. Paul talks about this in Colossians, in chapter 2, when he says, Don't let anybody judge you with respect to a holy day. Now, we're not to judge those who don't observe, and we're not to let them observe us who observe, because the observing does not give you brownie points with God. You do not, out of observance, have God saying, oh, you observe the holy days. This guy didn't observe the holy day. The purpose of the holy days is to remind us and to teach, so that when we are reminded and we teach, we obey better. A person who doesn't observe those but obeys the other commandments better is probably better off. But you are less likely to do that because you forget. And it's less likely to be passed on because you're not teaching. So the purpose of this is for our benefit, not for our impressing of God in that sense. So Paul says that these holy days are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Now it's important to understand that this is not a replacement. The holy days were until Jesus came and then they're gone. The holy days are a shadow so that you know what's coming. I've used this illustration before but I want to remind you. If there was a sun behind me and I am walking towards you and you look and see a shadow, you will recognize that shadow. But the shadow is not me. But the shadow announces my presence and reflects in part what I am so that when the substance comes, you have a fuller knowledge of what's going on. 
And so, as you know, in, in following many of these rituals, we begin to understand things about what Jesus has done in ways that we didn't understand them uh, before. So, it's important not to think of this in replacement, but to understand that the rituals allow us to see the shadow and the substance in 3D, in that sense of taste and see, in the more experiential sense, uh, so that uh, we will end up expressing and remembering and teaching this truth. Now, hey, I'm doing pretty good today. Next week, we're going to enter into the Lent season and ultimately into the holy days of Judaism and Christianity, at least in the Eastern form. These things are the heart of what our faith is about. Passover and Holy Week give us the full picture of salvation, both for Jews in the Exodus uh, and the establishment of, of Israel, and in the fulfillment of the substance in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, our high priest, who then ascended into heaven and who will return to establish the kingdom. All of this hinges on that intersection between the shadow of Passover and the substance of the Messiah. We must be sure, as we then move towards Shavuot and Pentecost, where we will see the relationship between the giving of the commandments, but the hardness of the heart, and the giving of the Spirit, that the commandments might be written upon our hearts. And so, the whole of the biblical story, in its focus on salvation, will begin with this period of Lent as we lead up to that, and what we call uh, the season of the cross. So our plan starting next week is to, uh, uh, we've ordered some little necklaces that have little wooden crosses uh, that we will use in the service as a reminder that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Because the Lent period is a period where we kind of work on our spiritual disciplines to get back walking closer with the Lord. Now, our goal is not that you will wear these things uh, for, for the period of Lent, though you may, I would recommend if you do that, that you not wear them out in the open. That kind of, uh, that's the problem of the phylacteries that Jesus talked about, where they enlarge their phylacteries to say, hey, look at me. This is about, look, it's, this is about us looking at us. And therefore, if you decide to do this throughout the entire time, you should do it in, with a, a cross that you use yourself or one of these and, and do it where it's not uh, obvious uh, to people. But we are going to uh, do that next week as we enter in and then we move into the season of the cross. And so one of the things that we're going to do during that period of Lent is look at biblical texts related to the cross. Both the cross of Christ and the cross that we bear in taking up our cross and following him. So I hope that children will be in great attendance next week for this purpose and that we'll then begin to do things also in the home. Uh, because we need to be prepared to remember and we need to be prepared to teach. I'll also be including in this uh, some of the hymns of the cross in our hymn series that we've done. So if there's a 
a hymn related to the cross that you would like me to address, let me know because I've been doing a bunch of them. I have more than I can do, but I'd certainly rather do the ones that you are uh, uh, interested in rather than just the ones that I'm interested in. Though I'm happy to do the ones I'm interested in. Um, So we'll be doing that next week. So, important to understand that the purpose of ritual is to remember for those of us who have known so that we do not forget and to teach the children so that they will know and that they will ultimately teach it to their children. If we're not serious about these things, they will not be serious about those things. If we only focus on making them fun for the children, then children will believe that they're only for children and when they don't want to be children anymore, they will throw those things away. And only return to them, perhaps, when they have children. Which is not the way we want to do this. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll, we'll have a brief Q&A.